Welcome to Indoor Voices, presented by Millicare Floor and Textile Care. Join us as we explore the great indoors and talk to experts about how to improve our indoor environments. Welcome to another episode of Indoor Voices brought to you by Millicare Floor and Textile Care. This episode today is going to be a unique one because um, we have an indoor professional who is adding, I guess you could say, some accolades to uh, his repertoire. And we have Jeff Snavely with us uh, from uh, from EBC. And Jeff, again, I usually try and make sure our guests know uh, who they're who I'm interviewing. So um, I think in most circles, you're fairly well known because you're a relationship guy. But for those who don't know you, can you tell us about what you do kind of on a day to day basis? Sure. And, and Brian, thanks for having me. This is uh, this is really cool. I mean, I, you know, when and I know we'll talk about the book here in a little while, but, you know, when I started writing, um, you know, my mind was sort of wandering from time to time thinking about what am I going to do with it? And the idea of these worlds colliding, that this book and, and, and our world of Millicare coming together, it is just so cool. So I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. And this is just freaking awesome. So, so thanks again for having me. Um, okay, so who am I? Now, I will, pre- <laughs> I, will, I will preface by saying all this makes me really uncomfortable. I don't like talking about myself and some of this promotion stuff I'm doing. It, it just, it's, it's, it's not my thing. Uh, but I love talking about our company. So I'll, I'll kind of talk about myself uh, through that lens as much Go as for possible. It. But uh, I am the vice president, general manager, and part owner of EBC Carpet Services. And we are the, the Millicare provider in the Mid-Atlantic area. So we uh, uh, provide Millicare floor and textile services, um, Philadelphia, Delaware, DC, Baltimore, Northern Virginia, all the way down through Richmond and Southern Virginia. So we are the, the, um, uh, the first Millicare franchise. And, um, you know, it's, uh, I'm, I'm proud to say that and, and uh, we're, we're happy to be part of this awesome network. That's awesome. That's great. So, so, Essentially, you're a building service contractor. But once again, rounding out kind of who you are, you've been heavily involved in facilities management and indoor voices, you know, I'm saying pushes a lot of good information to facility managers. And so that's kind of been a part of your world or slash your network. So what do you what have you done or what do you do on an IFMA side? With IFMA, and I, I assume your audience all is familiar with IFMA, right? International Facilities Management Association. And uh I am what you would call an IFMA nerd. Um, uh, I, I first got exposed to IFMA in the mid late '90s, so that was over 20 years ago. And uh, you know, fast forward, it's it's been a been a, a great journey learning about facilities management, which we have all different types of, of customers, but that is really our 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 core t- uh, customer type uh, facilities management as, as a title and as a, as a profession. Um, but I, so right now I am a, a member of the capital chapter of IFMA in the DC area and the Chesapeake chapter of IFMA. And uh, I'm, I'm also serving as a, uh, uh, I'm on the board of trustees for the IFMA foundation. It's been a privilege to, to, to serve a lot of roles. I'm past president of the capital chapter and, and been so fortunate to, to have other board and, and volunteer positions, met some great people, done some great things. Uh, from a company standpoint, though, our company, we are 
um, members, volunteers, and sponsors of six different IFMA chapters in the Mid-Atlantic. So we, we tell people all the time, like, if you're going to be involved with IFMA, there's, there's, you know, it's not just being a member and showing up at a few meetings. you got to get really, really, really involved. And, and so we are, um, we are uh, walking that talk. No, I love it. I love it. And, and again, I'm going to try and enhance things. And I know you're a modest guy, right? So you gave us a little bit about your background, a little bit of your facility management involvement. But again, this is Indoor Voices. We talk a lot about healthy buildings and sometimes healthy buildings ratings. And you are a lead AP. Would you, would you mind maybe letting us know why did you decide to go to, you know, go to leadership for engineering, energy and design? Wow, that was a long time ago. Uh, that was actually when I was with Formica Corporation. I don't know. I think 2005, I got my lead AP. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, Formica um, was a manufacturer of interior finish products and, and doing a lot of work with the architectural and design community. And, you know, lead is is now and has been since 2000 such a uh, you know, a huge part of, of A&D and what they do, the projects they work on, the products they specify. So um, when I was with Formica, it was important to know as much about LEED as I possibly could because that community was was so interested, involved with LEED. And I just, I wanted to be a resource. So I went through and, and, and uh, studied and took the test and, and got my LEED AP. So um, it's, that, that is... And then, you know, even in this world of, of floor and textile care and working with facilities managers and, and the, the built environment, um, LEED is still very, very, very important. And uh, U.S. Green Building Council, their headquarters is here in D.C., and I'm happy to say we take care of their floors and their furniture. Here we go. Like, there's this there's this swath of information that we're getting from you. And uh, the audience can already tell Jeff Snavely is a very accomplished uh, individual within the indoor space. So we're going to kind of turn things on on its head a little bit. And we're going to ask you about this book you wrote, right? Um, again, given your list of accolades, now you're adding author to it, right? So give us give us the title of the book and, and give us why you wrote it, right? Building Service Contractor, IFMA Person, Lead AP, Author. Yeah, wow, that word author. I'm still getting used to that word, but it's, uh, um, it's, 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 Feeling better and better these days, like a like a, a warm, comfy pair of slippers, I guess. But um, so the the title of the book is Disruptive Discovery: Uncovering the Stuff That Really Matters, right? And you know, and that's the thing, right? That some things really matter, and some things, I don't know, maybe maybe they don't matter quite as much. And that's and that's sort of the 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 premise of the book. So is that is that fair? Some things really matter, and some things maybe they maybe they don't. Um, but disruptive discovery is a facilitation model, right? And it's really all about helping people to gain a, a deeper level of understanding. You know, to to gain learnings that are are meaningful, things that make an impact. Um, and it's all about trying to drive, create positive change. I wrote it with certain people in mind, business leaders, sales professionals, consultants, coaches, and, and really anyone who advises others about life, 
or work, right? And, and these are the people that are in a position to help other people get to a better place. In the book, I call them facilitators of betterment. That is a term that I, I come up, I came up with, and, and I just think it's a, it's a really good fit for the type of person that would would um, enjoy this book and it would resonate with them. But these are these are people that help people, right? Finding uh, better solutions to problems. Um, or maybe helping them to improve in a development area. And in order to do that, you know, you, you've really got to understand people's unique situations. And, and sometimes that requires pushing below the surface and, 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 and going deeper. And that's where this idea of disruption comes in, kind of breaking through the surface and, 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 and going to that deeper level in order to uncover those things that really do matter. What I liked, I don't know if it's your introduction or chapter one, but you mentioned this term of an enlightenment. Um, and then I think you said something like, don't throw the book out just yet. Yeah, not, not spiritual enlightenment, right, right. It's not that kind of book. Right, and, and enlightenment goes hand in hand though with this idea of, of discovery, right? And discovery's right in the title. So I wanted to ask you specifically, Tell us a little bit about, again, discovery, right? So enlightenment, discovery, unpack that for us. Discovery, right? So I, I refer to or define a working definition of discovery in the book as uncovering something new, right? And that's sort of a, that's, that's, a, that's a big, big concept, right? But, but uncovering something new, that could be expanding your awareness around something. You know, it could be, Problem solving, we, we, we've already sort of touched on that. Um, it, it has a real role in, in uh, relationship building. So um, that's discovery. Now, disruptive, because in, in school, we were told that being disruptive is a bad thing, right? Um, but I, I, uh, I'm a bit of a contrarian. And what I would tell you is that I think that being disruptive in the right context can be a wonderful thing. Uh, and so many incredible innovations and, and game changers in our world and in our lives have been the result of disruption. I mean, you know, people talk about the internet as, as being a, you know, a, a disruption that, that, that changed the world, right? And, and, you know, look at what Apple does day in, day out with all the innovations that, that, that they've come up with over the years. And, and those are certainly positive forms of, of disruption. So the math equation that I, I love, and it's a bit of a cliche, but I love this, is the idea of one plus one equals three, right? That sometimes things are greater than the sum of their parts. So disruptive plus discovery, right? Uh, what that equals in a, in a math equation is uncovering the stuff that really matters, right? And so that's um, that's, that's sort of, uh, how in my mind, this, this, uh, the title and those concepts all sort of came together. I love it. I love it. And, uh, you put disruptive discovery against kind of a surface discovery, but you don't necessarily count out what you would call surface discovery. Um, but to move from surface discovery to disruptive discovery, uncovering that stuff that really matters. Um, is is a key element. Could you could you share with us that that key element to move us from from surface to disruptive? 
Um, this is a process. It is a model. It is a method, although it's not meant to be rigid. It's not like a, a, a user guide or a, an instruction manual, right? Um, but, but in order to transition from Surface, and by the way, Surface discovery is, 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 is so important and it has its place. You know, and, and there's so much that can be learned and gained. And, and, and I talk about it in the book about what exactly surface dis discovery is, what that process looks like, the types of questions that you ask um, and, and, and what you do with those. But in order to, to, to take that deeper dive and get those types of understandings that we're talking about, in order to get disruptive, um, trust is, is, is absolutely paramount and it is... Trust is one of those things. It's it's the starting point of this process. And I don't want to say it's the ending point because there is no ending point because it's, it's a bit of a continuum, right? But but it starts with trust and it never goes away, right? Because without trust, being able to, to go deeper, to be disruptive, to get to those learnings that are going to lead to what really matters, it's not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. So trust and, and the requisites of trust, right? Like, like what? Because trust is a very misunderstood concept, and, and that's a conversation for another day. But uh, well, it's a conversation that's, that's in the book. But um, uh, beyond that, you got to have a purpose, right? Like, what is your purpose? What is it that you're trying to to accomplish in this facilitation, in this exchange, uh, in this? Um, situation of disruptive discovery with that individual or that group that you're trying to help get to a better place, right? And then something, uh, a concept that I believe very much in and it is core to this is, is called the opening, right? And that is the, the difference between some, where someone is and where they want to be, right? Um, and, and so, and your purpose really focuses on that. You know, so someone's trying to solve a problem. Someone's trying to develop uh, or improve in a development area. So where are they and where are they trying to be in that situation? Right. And that is how you go from this this surface level to this more uh, disruptive level of, of discovery. So you've got to have those things. You've got to have trust. You've got to have a purpose and you got to you got to understand um, where someone's trying to get to in the context of where they are right now. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I love it. I love it. And I think it actually relates to the indoor world, especially at this time, extremely well, right? Um, a lot of people are reopening, wanting to bring people back to the building, right? And that element of trust is not necessarily there for the building occupants. So I kind of wanted you to comment from, from your book's perspective or from your perspective on you know, this, this reopening and, and what would that look like for maybe a couple different people? Like, what does that look like for you as a building service contractor who's saying helping people with their reopenings? This is why I'm, I'm so excited to have this conversation with you because, you know, the idea of disruptive discovery, um, you know, there's so many applications it can play in so many ways with all those different target audiences we talked about and, 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 even, and even more. But to be able to bring this concept into the indoor environment and into the workplace, is just, it's, it's exciting for me. And, and so when I start thinking of the workplace and I start you know, 
before I can go there, there's there's someone and I don't maybe, you know, her case sergeant. She's a, a senior principal and I believe she's the director of workplace for HOK. Um, the K, she is, I believe, the, the leading expert in, in the workplace. Right. And um, and she actually gave an, a, an endorsement for the book, which I'm so grateful for. And it was it was really cool to 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 have her involved in, in that way. Um, she wonders whether with return to office and, and other related workplace issues, she wonders if we're asking the right questions. I agree with her um, in, in that I, I wonder if we are asking the right questions. In fact, I don't think we are. And, and so, you know, um, when it comes to disruptive discovery, that is such an important part of the process of asking the right questions. I call them the 10 questions that matter. And, and, I, and I, I go through, you know, those specific questions and, and what they are. Um, you know, why do you ask them? When do you ask them? How do you ask them? And what are some examples of, of, of the, the way that you that you would ask them? But, you know, I think that the workplace has something to say. Right. I think the workplace is talking to us. And I just wonder if we're if we're asking the right questions, which I don't think we are. Um, and then are we listening to what it's telling us? And, and look, the, you, you can't ask a building to talk to you. Well, I guess you could. I, that might get you might get you locked up. So how do you how do you engage with the workplace? How do you talk with the workplace? Well, I think, you know, you're talking to facilities managers, you're talking to property managers, you're talking to, you know, the, the employees, you're talking to tenants, guests, visitors, and trying to understand their needs. And by doing that, um, that's really how you start to bring the the workplace um, into this into this this conversation to truly uh, uncover what it is that um, uh, that it needs and where it's trying to go. The building occupant who reports to the building, right, probably doesn't have trust in the workspace for multiple reasons, right? You have people who are traveling on airplanes right now and they're being handed a, a wet wipe so that they can wipe down, you know. Uh, their area before they sit down, right? There's a measure of trust that's not there. From your perspective and a disruptive discovery perspective, is there a question we should ask about reestablishing trust with the building occupant? Yeah, and I so uh, and I mentioned this earlier. I do I do think that trust is one of the most misunderstood concepts uh, that that exists, and and people often view trust as this all-encompassing emotional decision, you know, that I trust this person, I trust this company, I don't trust this person, I don't trust this company. Trust is situational, right? And so when you think about return to office, in that context of coming back to the office, there are really um, three requisites to establishing trust. Right. It is a question of capability, reliability, and sincerity. And what I mean by that is, you know, employees, for example, are looking at their company or looking at their leadership and whatever protocols, uh, whatever um, um, 
programs they've put in place to safely return everyone to, to office. What they're really asking in terms of, you know, am I, am I trusting them in this situation or not is, is my company or leadership capable? You know, can they do it? Are they reliable? Will they do it? Right. And then are they sincere? Which is why are they doing it? Right. And if if the answer to any of those questions is no or, you know, a, a, a negative response around sincerity, um, then trust doesn't exist. It doesn't exist in that situation. Right. So reliability. Oh, sorry. Capability, reliability, sincerity. And 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 that's that's not just true with return to office. That is, um, you know, any situation in which you're, you're sort of looking at and saying, does trust exist? That, to me, in my experiences around trust, um, that is what trust is or what it isn't. It's situational uh, and, and you got to look at it through those, those three requisites. So, so, Jeff, in your experience, again, as a building service contractor going into cleaning floors, um, do you look at how you help your customers in that trust vein? Sure. Yeah. And I, and, and that's just kind of how I see the world. And I, and I, uh, you know, especially in a new relationship, when you have a, a contact, whether they be a facilities manager, property manager, or whoever, whoever it is you're working with, you know, uh, for, for the, the services that, that we're providing, um, I know that what they're asking is, can, can Jeff do it? Can, can Millicare do it? Okay. And there's different ways to show someone capability, right, right? Right. Then they go, okay, now I know you can do it. Will you do it? Will you show up when you say you're going to show up? Will you deliver on, on what it is that you've, that you've already shown me you can deliver on? So will you do it? And then, you know, and this is where the, I think the confusion and emotion around trust comes in. It's like, well, why are they doing it? Why? You know, for, for what, what is their, um, what are, what are their intentions around this, this service they're looking to provide? Are they just looking to, you know, um, uh, are they looking to come in and do some work and, and, and get out of it, get out of there and, and, and make it as profitable as possible. And then when I have a problem, I'm not going to hear from them again. I mean, those are, so I think that those are, um, you know, those are the questions people are, are asking. And, and so if someone's looking to us in, in terms of, Hey, I, uh, this is a big deal. We've been we've been out of our building for 18, 19 months. We're bringing everybody back. Here's all the things that our employees are are um, all the things they're facing, all the things they're thinking, all the things they're feeling, all their concerns. We've done surveys. We've talked to them. We've we've really gone through a process here. We're looking to you as a service provider to help us in this way. You know. Um, whether it be around um, the, the cleanliness of, of the space, whether it be through, you know, enhanced hygiene services and, and, and trying to disinfect and sanitize, uh, you know, whether it might be just to, 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 to meet their indoor air quality needs. All right. We have to make sure that our capabilities, reliability and sincerity are aligned with with. The, the trust they're trying to build with their employees, you know, what it is in terms of the leadership of that organization and, and um, what their expectations are. You can clearly see, and I know that you're not trying to be formulaic, right? You want it to be fluid. 
But you can see how those principles apply to a lot of things, even out outside of the 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 indoor space, which I think is great. So wanted to pilot into something fun that uh, I saw in some of the notes in your book, and uh, it's an illustration you use to just to 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 give credence to surface discovery as well as disruptive discovery. And you describe them like ice cream flavors. Could you could you unpack that for us? Yeah, sure, sure. And by the way, I'm honored that you that you've read the book, even you know, even parts of it. So thank you for that. That that means a lot. Um, so yeah, ice cream. I I <laughs> I, uh, I love analogies, man. And, um, and and I think ice cream is a fun one. I've always said, and I tell my kids this: there's no such thing as bad ice cream. There's no such thing as bad ice cream. Just some is better than others, right? So so with that being said, surface discovery, disruptive discovery. Um, I equate surface discovery to vanilla ice cream and vanilla ice cream is great. And I, I'd even call it French vanilla, right? Like I think French vanilla is the, my wife says vanilla bean. I say French vanilla. Um, so, um, and, and give me a bowl of French vanilla ice cream anyway. And it has it, boy, it, I, I will, I will be happy. But this idea of, of pushing deeper, right? breaking through the surface and getting into disruptive discovery to me now we're talking about a big giant bowl of 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 chocolate ice cream with you know um the the chocolate covered pretzels and a fudge swirl and ooey gooey decadent caramel and toffee pieces like that's the kind of that is that's the type of ice cream that that we're talking about right so it, no bad ice cream i just think that that for me um and in and, and in terms of really trying to help people you know give me that uh give me that bowl of decadence anytime i think it's a fun illustration to show the value of discovery surface and disruptive and you helped us with trust right as we're going from our current state to kind of our aspirational state um, and as we do that as well, in your book, you outline numerous questions that you can ask on the way to try and get to disruptive discovery. One of them that I pulled out that I absolutely loved was uh, questions in the vein of dare to dream, right? So those questions help us, again, think about our current situation in an uninhibited way. And I found it super intriguing, right? So tell us about this, these dare to dream questions. Yeah, well, and so um, dare to dream is one of the questions that matter, right? So, um, you know, I believe that if you want to uncover the stuff that matters, you have to ask the questions that matter. With with dare to dream, and I want to, I, I I think it would be great if we sort of continue, um, unless you want to go a different way, but maybe we keep this. Um, in the context of the workplace and, and even, you know, return yes. to office. Yes. And, and, and Okay, so, so dare to dream. This would be an example, it, it will, to back up, who are the people that could be asking this question, right? Like, so who, who are our facilitators of betterment in the workplace? Um, if, if disruptive discovery is for, leaders and sales professionals, coaches, consultants, and, and anyone who advises others, well, who are we talking about? Talking about facilities managers, right? I mean, they, they wear a lot of those hats. They are certainly leaders. They are certainly coaches and consultants, whether it be for um, um, employees or, or maybe people on their team, 
that that report to them and people that they're coaching and developing, but 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 certainly facilities managers wear a lot of those hats. Um, the, the sales professionals, vendors who sell products and services to facilities managers and, and within the workplace, these are facilitators of betterment, right? Um, and employees interacting with coworkers and advising uh, people they work with, team members. Um, people running projects. So there's, so I, I think this, this idea of facilitators of betterment, it, it can apply to so many people. So questions that matter. Um, and if you think about dare to dream as a specific type, so we're, we're, if we're talking about the workplace and, 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 and you would ask a dare to, de, a dare to dream question um, as a way to get people to consider possibilities um, without the limitations of actual experiences. Because another question that matters uh, is a range finding question where you're, you're asking people to, to articulate um, different extremes of their experiences. Like what's the best thing that's ever happened? What's the worst thing? What's your favorite? What's your least favorite? It, it's, but they're based on experiences. Dare to dream is really more about let's, let's, let's think, um, you know, Let's not limit ourselves to what has actually happened. Let's talk about the possibilities, right? And so thinking about the workplace, thinking about um, returning to the office and, and what that indoor environment could be, uh, um, here's a dare, to, here, a dare to dream question would be, envision the perfect indoor environment, right? Can you describe it to me? You know, so it's 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 forcing someone into that into that place of, of jumping out of the box and, and not having any constraints yeah. because the word perfect, that's a big word. Yes. And, and, and by asking someone to explain or, or to describe the perfect work environment, the perfect indoor environment, perfect workplace, you're going to get a lot of insights from them as to what's important to them. You know, you know, the things that they want the things they don't want, right? And it's really going to give you some insight. We were talking earlier about the opening, where you are versus where you want to be. Dare to Dream is going to give you so much knowledge around where someone wants to be. No, I love it. And, and one of the things that I think of is the facility manager who may get bogged down with just chasing problems or chasing requests, right? And that Dare to Dream question, you can tell me if this is wrong, that Dare to Dream question is, hey, can I get away from just chasing problems to making this space a proactive and attractive one where people want to be. Would that be in the, in the vein of, of a dare to dream kind of conversation? Absolutely. It's, it's an envisioning exercise. That's absolutely what it is. And, and, and just because someone would answer that question, you know, in a way that they're, they're offering ideas that aren't possible, that's okay. Cause it's not even, it's not about the specific idea of can we do it or can't we do it? But what, what they're sharing with you is what's important to them, what their values are, you know, and, and, and that's, that's the real magic of that. I think one of the 10 questions is just, is just why, right? Why, why'd you put that one in there? I guess I should say that. that's a great question, right? It, it's, it's, it's one that requires explanation. It's not yes. It's not no. You're going to give a nuanced answer from your perspective whenever you answer the question why. Why is that one of them? So why and 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 why is is the tenth question that matters, and there's a reason for that. I love that question. 
that is my that is I don't, I don't want to play favorites here, but that is probably the question that throughout my life I have asked more than any other. And by the way, I've got two teenage daughters. I am convinced they are on a mission to surpass the number of times I've asked why. And they're they're nipping at my <laughs> yes. heels, man. You know, they're gonna they're gonna catch me quick here. Um, and what's interesting is I love when I ask why, but for whatever reason, sometimes when they ask it, I don't love it quite as much. That's, that's another conversation. So let's go back. Let's go back to this idea of, of the workplace is talking to us, right? And are we asking the right questions? Let's pretend for a minute that we were having a drink with the workplace, if that was possible. This is kind of a philosophical journey here. No, I like it. It's in the vein of the book and the way you've written it. I like it. Let's go. Yeah. So let's 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 pretend we're having a drink with the workplace, right? So here's, here's a question that I would lo love to ask it, right? It would go something like this. Based on, um, we're talking to the workplace, based on what you've learned about yourself over the years, why do you think people are reluctant to return to yeah. you? Yeah, yeah. Right? And then a, a kind of a follow-up to that, and this would be one of those range-finding questions that I was talking about, right. where you're kind of testing extremes based on experiences. Um, and again, we're having a drink with the workplace. Say, after countless observations, what helps people work at their best? Right? What have you... What have you found causes people to work at their worst, right? So wouldn't, wouldn't, that, be, wouldn't that be a cool uh, bar conversation to have with the workplace? So no, I, I think that you asking the questions of the workplace is, is, is very relevant. I think I can hear it saying things like, or the document saying things like, um, you're sick right now, right? And I don't trust coming into your environment. And then um, you know, I could see the workplace saying things like, well, you know, when my when my windows are open or the indoor air quality here is good, you, you would love to be in here because you could be more productive as you work. So I think those are definitely things that help us, you know, with dare to dream range, finding questions, why questions. I, I, I love them. I think they're really good. So so, Jeff, when you when you envision somebody reading the book um, and being impressed by it or wanting to use its principles, do you envision that person then? Uh, taking the idea, these ideas to a keynote speech, do you envision them uh, using it as a facilitate as a facilitator for a large group and doing kind of a workshop, or do you envision maybe like a one-on-one -on -one, uh, with a, with a peer or or or, or, a, or a being a mentor? How do how do you envision them using it? Will you indulge me for a moment? Because because uh, earlier you asked me a question. You said, "What's the book about, and why did you write it?" And we talked. We've talked a lot about what the book's about. But we sort of um, uh, we we stepped around the the why, right? And I, the only way I know to answer the question you just asked is to go back to the why. So I know you and I uh, have something in common, uh, lots of things in common. But one of them is our um, affinity for Simon Sinek um, and the book Start with Why, right? Right. Exactly. Dead on. So, so for anyone who who hasn't read Start with Why or hasn't seen Simon Sinek's TED Talk on the Golden Circle, I, I strongly recommend it. After this, uh, after this indoor voices episode, the next thing you should do is go, you know, and, <laughs> and, your call and to Google Simon Sinek the Golden Circle. So anyway, years ago, I read Start with Why uh, after seeing the Golden Circle TED Talk. 
And it, it just rocked me, man. I, I, it, it fundamentally changed the way that I see the world. And as a result, I uh, started working on my own why statement, you know, and, and what was my greater purpose? And I came up with my own golden circle. Um, my why is to make a positive difference in the lives of people, both personally and professionally, so that they feel motivated to be the best possible version of themselves. Now that's deep and heavy stuff. And you go, all right, well, how do you do that? Right? right how do you do right. that? So, so this idea of writing a book, that's one of those things. And by the way, over the past however many months, I've had so many people say to me, man, I, I really want to write a book or I know one day I want to write, I think I've got a book in me. And, and I, you know, look, I think if you've got something to say, something that can make an impact, you should say it. Right. So, but for me, this idea of writing a book became a way to bring my why to life. What I wanted to do was to, to uh, create something that could make that type of an impact in people's lives. So the, the answer to the question of how do you envision people using it? I want people, I hope, I hope that people read it, that it resonates with them, and they, and they put whatever learnings, whatever learnings they can pull from the book, I hope they put them into action, right? I don't want this book to be one more thing that somebody reads and does nothing with it, right? So, you know, I, this is all about um, making a difference, you know? And so, so, Whatever whatever role someone serves in in their in in in, in how they interact with others, whether they're other individuals or other groups, their company, what, whatever their role is, if this helps them help people, and and they could tell me about it, you know, if I could, so I, I just I want to know that it's being used, right? And so that's what I'm envisioning, but but specifically. I, I I don't really have any of those any of those uh, preconceived thoughts, you know. Um, I just I wanted to get it out there and, and see where it goes because if this is something that 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 uh, people connect with, then I'd love to have conversations about okay, so what do we do with it, right? So how do we how do we put disruptive discovery to work as a way to um, um, to help people get to a better place. We've got all these notes of why that we've discussed within the workplace. Um, and there's all these notes of why that come through those 10 questions in trust and going from surface to disruptive discovery. And I think we've couched that in the indoor environment today. So I, I, I thank you so much for exploring the great indoors with us and, and for giving us a piece of your why through this book. Yeah, no, thank you. And, and I, uh, um, I welcome any opportunity to have conversations with anyone. There's a, a disruptivediscovery.com website. You can learn more about the book and more about the, 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 the model, uh, the, the author. Um, <laughs> and then uh, if anyone's interested in buying the books, it's uh, or buying the book, it's, it's available on all online retailers, uh, including Amazon. So um, let's, uh, Let's do this thing. There you go, Jeff. You know? Listen, I'm going to buy one. I want a signed copy. I'm going to mail it to you, and you're going to sign it and send it back yeah. to me. So, yeah, I would be honored. So, thank Wonderful. you. Wonderful. Thanks so much, Jeff. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Millicare. And uh, let's go get disruptive, right? If you enjoyed this conversation, please rate and subscribe. 
This podcast is an audio-only version of the Indoor Voices interview series presented by Millicare Floor and Textile Care. You can watch the video of this interview and find other episodes at millicare.com slash indoor voices.